the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Millennium, the thousand-year reign. We'll explore that next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us. It's called the Millennium. It is the reign of a thousand years with Satan bound up. Today, here on Abounding Grace, we'll explore the millennium and the binding of Satan. Join us for a very insightful look into Revelation chapter 20. We'll be spending the rest of the week in this amazing chapter. We invite you to spend it with us as we explore God's Word together that we might grow in grace. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The Millennium Part 1, The Binding of Satan. Now we come to that chapter in the book of Revelation about which much ink and blood has been spilled, Revelation 20. You may hear some things, new things, in my interpretation of Revelation 20, but understand it's not because these interpretations are actually new. It is because for our day they are the minority position. But they have been found in the church for many, many years. Today, we are only going to look at the first three verses, but I had Ben read the entire chapter because I want you to see all of this in its context. Now, I want you to see the structure of Revelation 20. There are three things to bear in mind. Remember the things we have learned thus far? such as the principles of interpretation, which we saw in the first chapter. We saw that the book is a book of great imagery and figures of speech and metaphors and similes. We have seen throughout our study that John the Apostle, the writer of the book of Revelation, notice I didn't say author because God is the author, did not intend for it to be taken literally. Not because he was trying to say anything secretively, but because he was trying to root what he was saying in the Old Testament. So he uses a lot of Old Testament imagery and numbers that are symbolic in this book that only someone who has an understanding of Scripture could adequately interpret. The same thing is true of Revelation 20. You have three things here that I want you to keep in mind. First, a millennium. That is a 1,000-year reign of the saints on earth. The millennium ends, number two, with a great white throne judgment. And it begins in the first and second verses with the binding of Satan, number three. So there are two determination points here. This thousand-year period began with the binding of Satan, verse 2, and continues until the great white throne judgment of verses 11 through 15. So, 
If we can identify when Satan was or will be bound, we can identify when this 1,000-year period began because we know when it is going to end. The great white throne judgment has reference to a judgment day at the end of the world. And of course, I'll be coming back to this in a few weeks. So, it ends at the end of the world on judgment day. But it begins with the binding of Satan. So, if we can identify what the binding of Satan is, we will know when this thousand-year period began. Now, let's look at almost every word. Verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. Now, we have seen on several occasions that there are many angels in the book of Revelation. But there is one angel that keeps appearing over and over again, more glorious than all of the rest. He stands above the rest. He performs actions and his attributes that are only true of the Son of God. So the Son of God appears throughout this book as a glorious angel. And that is who he is here. Along with, it says, those who speak his word in his name. He comes down from heaven, which appears to be the incarnation of Christ. And Christ has a chain and a key in his hand. Now, both keys and chains are familiar biblical symbols for us, at least by now. For instance, a key in the Bible is a symbol of authority, sovereignty, and power. So go back to the very first chapter of the book of Revelation and notice what it says about Christ in verse 18. After painting a glorious picture of Christ, we read, I am the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now to have the keys of death and Hades is to say, I have authority over death, and the grave, or death and hell. I have sovereignty over death and the grave. So this is not something that just happens in any way it wants to. Death and the grave only take place as Christ ordains them. So a key is a symbol of sovereignty and authority and power. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, and he has great authority over the abyss. Now, before we look at the abyss, let's see what this chain in his hand uh, is, because a chain in the Bible is a symbol of restraining power. If you have someone in chains, you have someone restrained. Look at the sixth verse in the book of Jude which is the book right before the book of Revelation. It says, And the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds, or in eternal chains, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So there it says that God has the fallen angels restrained by a great chain until judgment day at the end of the world. So here Christ, this glorious angel, 
has a key symbolizing sovereignty and power, and he has a chain which symbolizes restraining power, and the chains stand, therefore, for the sovereign and restraining power of our Lord Jesus Christ. But not just of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because who else, said Jesus, had the keys in his hands? The church. The church have been given the keys of the kingdom to open and shut the kingdom according to the word of God. So this restraint and authority, this power that Christ has, he shares with his church. Now, what is this abyss or pit? The word is used several times in the book of Revelation, so let's look at each one of them quickly. The first is in the ninth chapter, verses 1 and 2. Ninth chapter, verses 1 and 2. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. It's the same word for abyss. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the bottomless pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Look in verse 11 of the same chapter. They, and that is this hideous army, have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek his name is Apollyon. Now, turn to the 11th chapter and the 7th verse. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. So that tells you right off that whatever the abyss means, it can't be referring to hell. That the bottomless pit, this abyss, cannot be referring to hell because if so, here you have a beast that comes back from hell to make war on the people of God and that is an impossibility to come back from hell. Chapter 17, verse 8. Then the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. So there you see the abyss and destruction are two different things. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. And the beast here, as we have studied, is the civil magistrate in rebellion against God. Then in the 20th chapter, we see the word abyss twice. Verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, and a great chain of restraint in his hand. Verses 2 and 3, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he should not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So how is the word abyss, or bottomless pit, used in the book of Revelation? 
Well, first of all, it is distinguished from hell. It is distinguished from the destruction. It is a symbol, a figure of speech, which is Satan's place of restraint. If you'll notice in each one of the times the word is used, the point is that the power that comes out of the abyss is under restraint. He is under control. And his power is curtailed. So this is a very powerful figure of speech. Satan lives in this abyss. Christ chains him and puts him in the abyss. That is, under complete restraint and control by the Lord Jesus Christ. All of Satan's actions are under the control of Christ. Now the next symbol is the chaining of Satan. We have seen who this angel is. We have seen what the abyss is and the key and the chain. And now in verses 2 and 3, notice what it says. And he, that is the angel whom we assume is Christ, laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. In other words, he doesn't want you to be confused to who he's talking about here. That the person who is being chained is none other than the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. So Christ laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him. So, complete restraint and control so that he would not deceive the nations any longer under the thousand years, until the thousand years are completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So here this thousand-year period begins with the binding of Satan, when Christ binds him so that he cannot deceive the nations any longer. And he will remain bound throughout most of the thousand-year period until right toward the end. And then it says he will be released for a short time. And we'll get back to that also in another week. Notice all of the verbs here. Notice to see how complete Christ's restraint of Satan is. Verse 2, And he laid hold of the dragon, he bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss, shut it, and sealed it over him. Now, that was a wonderful message for a people who were being persecuted by apostate Judaism and anti-Christian Rome. They saw Satan's influence on every hand. But they are being reassured here that however much you see Satan at work around you, he is under the complete authority and sovereignty and restraining power of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who has bound him, thrown him down, and shot him in this abyss, this bottomless pit. Now, this is not the first time that Satan is referred to in this way in the New Testament. In fact, the binding of Satan is a central theme in both Testaments. And here's how we see the Bible interpret the Bible. We are not dependent ever upon any commentary to understand Scripture. We can ask... What is this binding? What does it mean? And the Bible talks about it in both Testaments. 
So whatever it means here in Revelation 20, it will not be contradictory to what the Bible says elsewhere, right? Now, when is the first time in the Bible that we read about some kind of binding restraint and curtailment of Satan's power by Christ? In Genesis 3.15, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And it is after the fall when God says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed, and he shall bruise you on the head and you will bruise him on the heel. So here you have the first gospel message. That great prophecy that someday the seed of the woman, that is Christ, would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent is bruising the heel of the seed of the woman. The serpent thinks he wins in the death of Christ. But ultimately, of course, Satan received a death blow that greatly curtailed his power upon Golgotha. Now turn to John 12, 31 and 32. This is Jesus talking. And he says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And then verse 33 says that he was talking about the kind of death he was going to die. So what Jesus is saying here is the most critical moment in the world. And that is, the word, what, that is what the word judgment here means. It's where we got the word crisis from the Greek word of, a, of judgment. The most critical moment in the world is at hand. Because when Jesus is lifted up from earth on the cross, he will render, render powerless, take complete control over, and that is what cast out means, the ruler of the world, and that will lead to the drawing of all kinds of people from every walk of life to himself. Now, what does it mean to be the ruler of this world? The word world in John, both in his gospel and his epistles, does not mean this created universe. The word world means mankind in rebellion against God or unregenerate mankind. Love not the world does not mean do not love this creation. It means do not love unregenerate mankind and his worldviews and be a part of that which is in rebellion against God. So he says, now rebels against God and the ruler of those rebels who is Satan himself are going to be rendered powerless or greatly restrained in their power when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross. And at that point, I will draw all men unto myself. So there you have another great statement of the limitation of Satan's power by Christ. Now look at John 16, verses 8 and 11. Now, I'm, going, I'm trying to show you that this theme of the binding or curtailment of Satan's power or this chaining of Satan is a common theme, particularly in the New Testament. John 16, 8 and 11, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, 
He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 11. Because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, one of my favorite passages about the curtailment of Satan's power is in Luke 10. Jesus, remember, sent out 70 preachers to go and preach the gospel everywhere. The 70 preachers had tremendous success. People are led to Christ. Demons are cast out. Miracles are performed. So they are very anxious to come back and report all of this to Jesus. And when they get back, they tell Jesus how successful the preaching mission was. And in verse 18 of Luke 10, Jesus says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. In other words, he is saying to them, when they said our preaching was success, I know. While you were preaching, I saw Satan's doom sealed, that Satan's power was greatly curtailed. And he wasn't talking about the fall of Lucifer at the beginning of time, beloved. That's not the point here at all. The point is, Jesus is making the statement, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning while you 70 men were preaching. So here you see the restraint of Satan by the preaching of the gospel. Now look at Romans 16, 20. This is a very interesting verse. It's at the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church of Rome. And he says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So not only do we read about Jesus crushing Satan's head on the cross, but because he crushed Satan's, on the, Satan's head on the cross, now the church has the power, so to speak, to keep Satan's head under their feet, to keep it crushed through the pure teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, speaking of the death of Christ, it says, When he, Christ, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, being triumphant over them through him, of course, Christ. So it's talking about God triumphing over the, his enemies on the cross, which led the Puritans to speak of the cross as Christ's triumphant chariot. Because it was by the means of that cross that these alien rulers and authorities, that is alien to God's kingdom, who hated him, be made a public display and were defeated. Then Hebrews 2.14 is quite a clincher, I believe. Let me misread it so you get the point. So turn there, if you would, to, Romans, or to Hebrews 2.14. It says, Since then the children of Abraham share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Christ, likewise all par also partook of the same, that through his second coming... He might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. It, of course, doesn't say second coming, does it? It says through his death, so that through Jesus' death on the cross, and the Greek word is really rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. That is, he greatly curtailed and restrained his authority in his ability to act against God's kingdom. 
His actions would no longer be an insurmountable obstacle to the advance of the gospel. Now listen to 1 John 3, 8. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now appeared is past tense. It is not talking about the future here. It's not talking about the second physical appearance of Christ at the end of the world. It's talking about the first physical appearance of Christ in his incarnation and his birth. The reason the Lord Jesus Christ appeared in history 2,000 years ago, one of the reasons, was so he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.